0: Well, as we all know, today marks the end of a long and hot 4th of July weekend. We've been celebrating our nation's independence, our liberties, our core values, and vision as a nation. Today also marks the end of our teaching series on being salt and light, Jesus calling us as his followers to live out his kingdom, bringing light into the shadows and Bringing the savor and preserving influence of God's kingdom into our world. So the juxtaposition of those two things on the calendar um, got me to thinking, and what I want to do this morning. I actually, I I thought you know a week ago this was probably a good idea <laughs> to talk about being salt and light in a toxic political environment. But the closer I got to this morning, the less sure I was of whether or not that was a good idea. (laughs) So, I'm just going to need your 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 uh, grace and going to need the Lord's grace. But I want to really what I want to do is focus on being sons and daughters of the kingdom in an atmosphere that desperately needs the light of God's truth and the savoring grace of Jesus. Now, uh, I just told Debbie before I walked up here, like, I'm really nervous. Um, so let me just share with you some of my hesitations and caveats. I hesitate to raise these issues um, because just mentioning certain topics can be incredibly polarizing. Even amongst a group of people like this who love one another, we have folks here all across the political spectrum. We have Rush Limbaugh Christians and a former officer of Black Lives Matter New Haven, all here in the same family. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a really good thing. Um, But what it means is that um, we can generate sometimes more heat than light, even in our own discussions about these topics. And also hesitate because I think boundaries need to be respected. I'm your pastor. I'm your shepherd. I'm your teacher. I'm not a paid political pundit. I'm not a political commentator. But the vision and ideals of the kingdom of God and the vision and ideals of the American political experiment and self-government have a lot of overlap a lot a lot of overlap in fact there's always been a strong undercurrent a strong um, let's just say a strong temptation to think of this experiment called america there's been a temptation to think of america in the language the imagery the ideals of the kingdom of god phrases like a city set upon a hill are part of our history and an important and significant part, certainly worthy to be celebrated, but it has an impact to think for us to think that America is an expression of the kingdom of God on earth. Phrases like manifest destiny, the world's last best hope have been, and some continue to be, part of our ongoing political dialogue. Let me just pause here for a second and make a couple observations. First of all, America is not the kingdom of God. That's blasphemous. Further, and I know some of you strongly disagree with me about this, America was never conceived by the founders to be a Christian nation. It was not. It was founded by mostly God-fearing men But it was their intent to found this country as a non sectarian republic. I think that's a blessing, something for which we ought to be grateful. Secondly, just another observation I do believe in American exceptionalism as a historical reality to be celebrated. Now, it's unfortunate and uh, grievous to me that our current president and our former president and our last president, neither one, although they talked a lot about American exceptionalism, neither one of them really understand what it means. American exceptionalism has nothing to do with whether or not the Women's World Cup soccer team wins today or whether or not our army or our economy are the strongest in the world. That's not what that term historically means. When founded, this nation was an exception to every other national enterprise in the history of the planet. This nation is defined not by ethnicity and geography, blood and soil, but rather it's defined by ideals, by a vision, that people surround and subscribe to, and that's why they came here. And this is a nation, this is the real American exceptionalism. This nation was built on the radical notion that the government is accountable to the governed, and that both the state and the populace are answerable to the Almighty, to the Creator. Those ideas are what make America exceptional in the history of the planet. And those are worth celebrating. And those are far more important than whether or not our Olympic teams or our army or our economy are the greatest in the world. That's what defines our exceptionalism. And it's worthy of celebration. So, Next, to last hesitation I will share is that it's always easy when talking about these things not to be heard because our defenses go up. And it's easy for what I'm saying not to be heard or to be misheard. There's no feedback loop in a sermon for clarification, for questions, for discussion. And some of you... I can see in your faces your walls are already halfway up. Some of you have already turned me off because you didn't come here to hear about politics. You wanted to hear about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? I'm an amen on that. And others of you are waiting to see if I will reinforce your beliefs or if I'll offend your views. Or some of you are just hoping to see if I'll step on a landmine. (laughs) So those are some of my hesitations. My last hesitation is, whenever I try to do this stuff, I never have enough time. And um, so I've been feeling that all week. And we'll be out of here by four, I can guarantee you. (laughs) All right, with all those hesitations, caveats on the table, let's pray. Father, we need your help. We are grateful for this land. We're grateful for the men and women who came here, especially those, Lord, who came to serve you, came to find a place where they could worship in freedom. And for those, that extraordinary collection of wisdom, Lord, These individuals we call our founders, who had such a grand vision and whom you inspired with such wisdom, Lord, to put together a framework for a nation that has given us such great liberty. And Lord, for that we're grateful. And I pray that you would help me, Lord, represent you well and all of us. Lord, that we might be sons and daughters of the kingdom, first and foremost of all. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. The topic is being salt and light in a toxic political environment. And my goal as I talk to myself, because I've been talking to myself all week about this, I've been preaching to myself as I've been preparing to preach to you, So as I talk to myself and as I talk to you, the questions are, how can I, how can we shine truth, illumination, wisdom into our culture and society? How can we genuinely be a savoring influence in the midst of all the shouting, all the coarse rhetoric, all the polarizing vitriol that's going on all around us every day? I mean, can we agree that the political environment is toxic? Can we agree that the populace is polarized? And can we also agree that the issues are important and that the stakes are high? Yeah, I I think all those are true. It's not my intent this morning to preach on issues, um, but I want to just name three things, three issues that are currently uh, in the ongoing debate that are really core to any kind of moral vision for a nation. The first one is something that we've been talking about, praying about. It's been on the table for almost 50 years, and that's the protection of the unborn. It's been raging in this nation for almost 50 years since Roe v. Wade ruling by the Supreme Court in 1973. And since that time, 50 million unborn human beings have been terminated. That's... That 's a lot of innocent blood that 's been shed now every time we touch on this issue I just I need to say this there's extraordinary mercy in the heart of God for anyone who 's been involved been touched by um, made a choice for ending a pregnancy there 's an amazing grace and mercy in god 's heart for any of us on any thing where we've fallen short of His glory, but I've seen it so many times over and over and over again as I've prayed with men and women who've been involved in this choice, just seeing the heart of God touch them and bring healing and forgiveness over this issue. It's, it's amazing to be part of that. But at the beginning of this year, we saw a handful of states, Virginia, New York, Massachusetts, enact some of the most radical pro-abortion laws that could be conceived of. Making it legal up to, and in some cases, even in the words of the governor of Virginia, after birth, making it legal to terminate the life of the child. It seems for some in our nation that the practice of abortion has been elevated to more than an unrestricted right. It's become an unquestionable, celebrated expression of, of the common good. That's going on in this nation around us. But at the same time, other states like Georgia, Alabama, Missouri, have outlawed outlawed abortion after six weeks in almost any case, except to save the physical life of the mother. Clearly, we're a house divided on this issue. And the states are lining up, some on this side, some on this side, to the radical fringes, the radical extremes of this particular issue. Now, this is clearly a moral issue, and and it's one I believe the Bible speaks to quite clearly. God is the author of human life. And each and every child, born and unborn, bears his image, created in his likeness. So this has been going on around us for almost 50 years. How are we to be salt and light in the midst of this battle that's been raging since 1973? And just just as an observation, it seems to me that there was a tremendous shift um, on this issue when those who were advocating for life in the womb when they moved away from, you know, violent and angry rhetoric and just moved toward quiet uh, demonstration of presence, attitudes in this nation began to shift. You know, when protesters went to the Supreme Court with tape across their lips, not saying anything, but just their as an advocate for unborn life, instead of posturing as you know people who are angry, just posturing as people who are grieved, attitudes in this land began to shift. That, there's some clues there about how to be salt and light, even in an extremely divisive issue. All right, let's move on. That's one issue. Just... We all know this is going on. Here's another one. Sexuality and gender has become another major battleground in the social and political arena. And the delinking of gender from sexual biology has been a concept that has advanced rapidly over the past decade in academia, certain cultural and political circles. We've watched this. It's happened with tremendous rapidity. Can I just say that confusion about sexuality and gender has many different expressions in the human family. And can also just say it touches almost every one of us. Just think about think about when you were an adolescent. Every one of us contains within ourselves some expressions of what it means to be male and what it means to be female. We all have some measure of both of these qualities within us. There's a spectrum in the human family. But the kind of confusion that we experience and that's being uh, trumpeted in our society today seems to me is a manifestation of the brokenness of our world and some of the confusion at a societal level. Now, can I also say that the Father loves every member of the human family? I believe this unequivocally. But he also expressly tells us that we've been created male and female for a purpose. It represents his image. Male and female, he created humanity. And we're to live in relationship of a celebration of a union that comes together together out of the differences, just as God himself exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not confused about his intentions for the human family. He's not confused about what it means to be male and female. Nor is biology confused, except in the rarest of cases. But I also want to say... God's unflinching, unconditional love for every man and woman, boy and girl on this planet, that's also not confused. He knows how his heart feels toward every single one of us. Some of you know about this. Some of you may not know. Some of you have emailed me about this and said, Pastor, how come you haven't spoken to us about this? Well, here I am. The Equality Act was House Bill number 5, introduced in this past Congress it passed the House, it's not been raised in the Senate, it's not going to be raised in the Senate, but this bill would make it illegal not only to discriminate against LGBT individuals in employment, and housing, etc., something I'm very much in favor of, but also make it illegal to publicly advocate, instruct, counsel what the Bible's teaching is on sexuality and gender. Even to the point of, Although I've said almost little about this, I what I've just said would skirt towards violating this law as it's written. It's not a law, as this bill was written. That seems to me like a pretty serious situation when it comes to defining the human family and our culture and society together. All right, that's the second issue. Third one, very currently in the news, is the issue of how our nation treats Immigrants what it means to have and protect the border. Now God has a lot to say to His people Israel in the Old Testament about the treatment of strangers, foreigners, sojourners in the land. Exodus 22-21 says, and Bob, if you want to put that up on the screen, the Lord says, "...do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you were aliens in Egypt." Clearly, the Old Testament perspective is that Israel was God's chosen people. Their land had been given to them by God. But the Torah, God's instruction, the Old Testament law, has a lot to say about justice, fair treatment, welcome for non-Israelites. It's very clearly a high value to the Almighty. And how a society, how a people treats those who are other treats those who are marginalized, is very important to the Lord. It goes very core to his heart. That's a biblical principle. It's clear. Now, just how a righteous and moral immigration policy is to be fashioned in 21st century America requires greater wisdom and perspective than I certainly have. And there are other biblical values that come to bear on such a discussion. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the words boundary and border are used over 100 times? Boundaries are important to the Lord. He set the boundaries for his people Israel, and he speaks clearly about that. So there are biblical, there's biblical instruction to be found uh, on this particular issue uh, from more than one angle. But clearly, the principle of humane, just, fair treatment of the stranger is near to the heart of God. And I'm not sure how much the shouting, the name-calling, the posturing, I'm not sure how much good that's doing to actually solve what it's a real critical problem for real human beings. All right, let's just step back for a moment take a pause. Deep breath. I've briefly highlighted three moral issues in our current political debate. I haven't said much about any of the three, just raising them. So let's do some pulse taking. How are we doing? You doing all right? Good. Nobody's got their guns out. This is a gun-free zone, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. I've raised these three. I know they're controversial in many ways, but I've raised these three because they, they, I believe they all touch on critical moral judgments that go to the heart of shaping a nation, a society, a people. You know, there's some political issues we can get really worked up about that don't matter all that much to God. You know, we can get excited about lots of stuff that doesn't necessarily go to the core vision or heart of what it means to be a just and humane and moral society. But there are some issues that are really important. Issues of innocent life, shedding of innocent blood, redefining our core identity as male and female, treatment of the marginalized, These go to the core of what makes a society just or unjust. And when our laws begin to call what is fundamentally evil a right or a good, or when our laws begin to fundamentally redefine how God has defined us and put all of that up for debate, or when our political posturing and seeking for power politically becomes more important than how real people are treated in real life situations. These are important issues. These things touch the heart of God in a very deep way. And when we move away from His way into a way that doesn't lead to life, we grieve the heart of God. And it's not like these things are arbitrary. You know, when Luther called God's, um, judgment his strange work. And I, I love that phrase, but he, he uses that term because God's, God's default position is always moving toward redemption and mercy and grace. But there are times when God releases judgment, and primarily the way God releases judgment is He just allows us to have the things that we choose. And many times the things that we choose just lead to more and more confusion and shadows and darkness. And His blessing is lifted and the door is open for greater confusion and greater consequences, greater negative consequences to have their play in our individual lives, in our families, and on a corporate level, in society. Now, so far, all I've done is just barely set the table. Oh, one more thing. All around these issues and others, we have some of the most coarse political rhetoric going on that I can ever remember. And I can remember back to the 60s when it was pretty rough. But the only thing the opposing sides in this current political debate have in common is the way they dehumanize, revile, and denigrate the people they disagree with. I never realized I lived in a country where there were so many Nazis. No matter what side you're on, the, per- the person who disagrees with you is a Nazi. Nazi. And this dehumanizing rhetoric is flaunted with such incredible self-righteousness, self-righteous indignation and moral outrage. I read this past week a quote that I think applies. You can be sure you have created God in your own image if he hates all the same people you do. That's a good one. So that brings us to the question of how can we be salt and light in this environment? How can we represent the kingdom? How can we represent Jesus in such a confused, confusing, divided, hate-filled environment? Well, clearly one place we can start is by guarding our communication. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Bob, you can put those verses up for us. Paul says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your communication, your conversations be seasoned with the salt of grace. We don't need to add to the toxicity of the ongoing shouting match all around us. That's one place we can start. Now, notice, I'm not saying just keep quiet on these important issues and only talk about Jesus, but I am saying whatever you're talking about, speak like you're representing Jesus. That's one way to be salt and light. Now, I had just an amazing coincidence this week as I was preparing this. I was working on this at my desk. I had to go out and run an errand. I got in the car. My radio was tuned to the local station that broadcasts the Red Sox games. And um, as I was driving to where I was going, I was listening to a pastor colleague. Um, We're not close friends, but I'd call him a friend. He hosts a local talk radio show. And I listened to him call a certain national politician with whom he disagrees, called her because of her views, I, I listened to a pastor call this woman a detestable human being. I need to call him. I, I'm, I'm, seriously, I need to call him and have a conversation. It's grievous. i was grieved. I'm grieved. This is not being salt and light. Can we just be real? I mean, this, this, that's not good. Now, conversely, a couple months ago, I read a, a post on Rich Lusetti's Facebook page where he, he wrote, he posted, I refuse to lose a friendship over a political argument. Good for you, Rich. I'm liking you in this sermon. <laughs> I mean, how many of us have lost friends over political arguments? It's ridiculous. Friends are too valuable. And friends who disagree with us can inform us. And if we start with a posture of listening instead of shouting at one another, we might make some headway. So, at the very least, we can refrain from toxic speech ourselves. More than that, we can speak civilly. We can conduct ourselves civilly. But how else can we be salt and light into this ongoing mess? How can we bring the light and preserving savor of Jesus into our culture? I've struggled with this, wrestled with this for a long time, because I I care so deeply for this nation. And I've been on watch praying for this nation for 25, 30 years. It's easy to become cynical, and that's a battle I've fought and not always won. I confess, I've battled with cynicism over these issues, and I will say that many of our political leaders operate with such incredibly callous cynicism, such disregard for almost anything but pretense and power, it's easy to hold the entire enterprise in cynical contempt. I've been there a times. That's not being salt and light. And I've had to repent. I've had to call myself back and re-engage with the Lord. And the Lord keeps drawing me back to a couple basics. Now, I've used up all my time just setting this up, so I've got five minutes to preach. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a couple scriptures I was going to go to, but I'm just going to go to one. And, um, You can turn there if you like. We're not going to exegete it by any means, but Genesis 18, the second half of Genesis 18, is an incredible story to me. The first half of Genesis 18, the Lord comes to visit Abraham and Sarah with two angels, and he brings to them the promise that in a year's time, the promised son, the son they've been waiting on for 25 years, is to be born. And so that's an incredible story in and of itself. But then... um, in the second half of Genesis chapter 18, um, we find this incredible narrative of the Lord in, encountering and engaging Abraham. He'd come down with his angels from heaven to inquire into the circumstances of the city of Sodom, which was only a few miles down the road from where Abraham lived. And the sin and the iniquity and the evil of Sodom had become so great that it had reached to heaven. And God in his righteousness was coming to inquire to see for himself by his messengers. Was the report from Sodom actually true? Because he was so grieved over, you see, evil is not neutral. And because God is good, he cannot continually allow evil and iniquity to persist. In his goodness, at times, he needs to release judgment to end that which is evil. Can I get a witness to that? It grieves him to do so, but there's times when he's moved to do so, but he's so cautious, he's so gracious, he's so incredibly righteous and fair, before he's going to do anything, he's going to come and check it out firsthand. And so he comes to visit Abraham with this word of promise, what you've been trusting me for for 25 years is about to be fulfilled. But also, by the way, and he has this conversation within himself as he's prepared to send the angels to go and inquire in Sodom, should I not tell Abraham what I am contemplating doing? What's going on? Because Sodom was just down the road. Abraham had family who lived there. And so he decides, yes, you know, it's like, And the actual word is not in Genesis 18, but it's referred to elsewhere in the scripture where God is going to speak to Abraham because Abraham's his friend. And he wants to receive Abraham's counsel and input on this situation. And so he says to him, Abraham, this is what, this is what, what, another reason why I have, I've drawn near to earth and I've come to check this out. And uh, Abraham responds in an incredible way, and I think, he, I think the Lord is so happy with how Abraham responds. Abraham is grieved by what's going on in Sodom, <clears throat> but he's more grieved by what the Lord says he's about to do. And so Abraham says to the Lord, O oh God, are you not the righteous God of heaven and earth? And would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? I think God is so happy. I think the Lord was so incredibly pleased when Abraham responded in that way. And so Abraham says to him, Lord, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Would you not spare it? Yes, the Lord says. And then Abraham waxes bold and says, well, Lord, what if there were just five less than 50? What if there were 45? And the Lord says, I would spare it for 45 righteous people. Well, Lord, please don't get offended, but what if they're 40, 30, 20, 10? If there were 10 righteous people found in the city, would you spare it? Yes, said the Lord. How do we be salt and light in a toxic environment? Just the incredible power. If God had 10 people, 10 righteous people, in this city which is synonymous with wickedness if he had ten righteous people to work with that would be enough light that would be enough preserving savor for him to work with that the city could be spared that's incredible if you think about the power of presence how can we be salt and light in a toxic political environment or a toxic moral environment Just, we carry a greater kingdom within us than the kingdom that's outside of us. And if we're conscious of that and aware of that, and if we're prepared to work with the Lord towards those ends, if our heart is set toward His purposes, which is always gauged toward mercy, the Lord has something to work with. What if, Rick, every time you drove past the state capitol, You prayed for those people and blessed them instead of cursing them for raising your taxes. What might happen? I'm just saying. (laughs) And I'm not just thinking about my taxes. I'm thinking about friends multiplied over and over and over who moved out of state because they can't live here. It's grievous. It's really grievous. But if I don't release the presence of a greater kingdom and just add cursing to the curse that's been imposed upon us, cursing just multiplies. And nothing changes. The power of presence and the power of intercession. Abraham, in, his, in this great boldness of this relationship he had with the Almighty, pleads for the city of Sodom. Now here's the father of faith. Here's the most righteous man on the face of the earth at the time. Just think, just think if the righteous in the land. Just look around the people around this room. We're, I'm talking about people like us, people who care about these things, people who know the Almighty, people who pray. What if we responded like Abraham instead of responding out of our own anger and frustration and cynicism and vitriol? What if we acted like Abraham instead of acting like we act when we're not on our best day? Rick, are you getting this? We can make a difference. We can move the dial. This is the power of this incredible story. Now, oh, one thing I want to say. Every Thursday night, 7 o'clock, room B5, there's a group of people who pray for the nation. You're invited to be there. Mark and Linda Guide have led this prayer ministry for a number of years. Linda says to me, You know, many times we come in overwhelmed, burdened, frustrated, discouraged, but the Lord meets us, and we pray for the nation, and we've seen answers. There's a whole other text I was going to look at, but we don't have time for it. I'll preach on it again sometime. How do we respond to salt and light? Well, Maybe before we go on a political rant on Facebook or call up some talk radio show and act like an idiot, giving a different name so our friends won't really know who we are, (laughs) or talking to the people we work with or our family members, just like spilling out our frustration over these things. What if before we did any of that, we talked to Father? Father? father what's your heart how do you want me to respond i have a couple who are lead they lead a small but a powerful intercessory ministry in washington dc i pay attention to them because they're the least political intercessory ministry in dc that i'm aware of most of all the others have been co-opted by politics but these two are not they don't operate politically and they're friends of mine, and and I've gained a lot of wisdom from them. They've been here on occasion past. And my friend John told me this story. He he was a journalist before he God called him into this ministry. And he's been very much involved in the civil rights movement throughout his life. He's a white guy, he's from Massachusetts. And um And so this is an issue that's very close to his heart. He's been been part of his journey throughout his life. And so when President Obama was elected, he was incredibly excited by that. And he prayed for President Obama. But many of the things that President Obama did and many of the policies that President Obama advocated, my friend disagreed with strongly and felt they were very contrary to some of the things that were core to his own understanding of what God wanted to do. And he was troubled by this. And so when he was in Israel one time on a different, for a different reason, he was there on a prayer journey. But he told me this story. He said, on the Mount of Olives, I just brought this to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm grieved by this and I don't know how to respond. And Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to help me. If I'm going to be effective in this ministry, I have to resolve this tension within me. I need your help if I'm going to be effective in what you're calling me to do. And he said, there on the Mount of Olives, God gave me his heart for Barack Obama. And from that day on, I prayed for him like a brother. From that day on, I prayed for him like he was my best friend. For that, From that day on, I prayed for him like I loved him as he, if he were one of my own. He still disagreed with many of his policies, but he prayed for him with a heart of love. That's being salt and light. That's being salt and light. And I know his prayers were effective. And I know that the Lord was honored. And I know that the kingdom was advanced. Now I'm going to invite you to stand. Bob, you can go ahead and put that that last um, slide up on the screen. We're going to pray this together in a moment. But I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult. And uh, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to think of the person in the political arena that you most violently disagree with. And I'm going to ask you to pray in the quiet of your own heart to pray for that person. And if you're bold enough, can you ask God to give you His heart for that person. And ask the Lord to bless him or her. Really bless them, their relationships, their family, their personal life. And ask the Lord to give that person wisdom. And then if you'll just allow me to lead us in prayer. i want going to pray for the two highest profile members of each party. And then we're going to pray a prayer together. Father, I pray for President Trump, and I ask you to bless him. I ask you, Lord, to show yourself to this man. I ask you, Lord, to reveal to him the wonder of who you are and the greatness of your salvation. I ask you, Lord, to visit him with a gift of repentance. And I ask you, Lord, to move him toward the grace of humility. And I ask you, Lord, that he might open his heart to you and embrace you. And I pray that you'd surround him with wisdom and godly counsel. And Lord, that you would use him, in spite of all of his flaws, to lead us in ways that will bring blessing to this nation. And Lord, I pray for Speaker Pelosi. And I ask you to bless her today with her family. Lord, she's consistently claimed to worship you, to follow her church. And we pray, Lord, if she's in worship today, that you would speak to her and that you would meet her. And Lord, we ask that you would use her as she gives leadership in the house. Lord, surround her with godly counsel and wisdom. And Lord, would you break through the crust of decades of the hard knocks of national politics, that her heart would be softened toward that which is highest and best and good. And Lord, that she might move beyond political calculation to what is right and true and good. Bless her, Lord. And Lord, would you visit this land once again with the gift of repentance with an awakening spiritually. Lord, that would call us to you and call us to our highest and best ideals and fulfill the dreams in your heart for this nation.